Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. We're back with Nigel Watson as we talk about his latest work, Captured by Aliens. Nigel, what is it about the Benny and Barney Hill case that convinces you that this might be real? Um, well, they didn't, <clears throat> didn't contradict themselves, and uh, it was something that couldn't have been staged because, uh, you know, it was, uh, no, unless they were being followed 24 hours or something, and I don't think it could have been staged. Um, the only thing is uh, whether it was a product of our imagination, um, you know, something perhaps on that night... Uh, had seen a UFO following them, and when they stopped the car to have a, look, a better look at it, Barney Hill um, grabbed a pair of binoculars and um, went out of the car to get a better view of the UFO, and he said he saw uh, a craft with a row of windows in it, and he could see occupants inside the flying saucer. One of them looked like the leader and he looked really sinister, yeah, like um compared him to sort of a Nazi um soldier or something. Like a stormtrooper um, or something. Yeah. And uh that that really frightened him and I think he was frightened that would they would land and capture them. So I think it's at that moment he kinda of ran back to the car and and drove off really fast and and that's when they kind of got lost. And uh, uh, the next next thing, that know we're kind of home, but like the, the workout, that was like about two hours missing time. And that's when, um, you know, Betty's nightmares kind of fill in some of those gaps. And then it's not really until under hypnotic regression they really get to the bottom of what might have happened. Um, it's interesting, though, on the the, 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 the uh, craft itself, that uh, the, um, they're separated. And that seems to always happen with abductees. If there are two, they always seem to get separated. So it's hard to collaborate with stories, really, other than that they entered and left. And um, the scene, like, was... <coughs> With Betty, they um, inserted a needle into a navel, and uh, with Barney, uh, they uh, tried taking his first teeth out. So uh, they were fascinated they, by his teeth, weren't they? Yeah, they were kind of they were, they were like curious and efficient people, and um, more than say, and also they didn't look like the typical greys of ufology nowadays. And um, they, um, with um, Betty, she actually had a, a discussion with them and uh, <clears throat> she saw the famous star chart on the wall and she even tried taking a book as a souvenir, but uh, it's taken off her. And so that's another problem with people who, who are abducted. They're never allowed to take anything um, away from the ship. And that's very much like, you know, ancient fairy stories where people enter fairyland and then they never are able to take anything out of that land to prove they've been there. So I think uh, it, it's, well, it was literally the stuff of nightmares. Uh, and also, 
um, Benjamin Simon felt that a lot of their problems were caused by uh, racial tension, that uh, mm-hmm. they were Mr. and Mrs. Average. They were an interracial couple, which was quite unusual for the early 60s. And Peter Rogerson equates the UFO to almost being like a, a symbol of a, a, um, a pirate ship and the fear of uh, being taken away uh, um, and adopting that sort of re- repercussions of, and um, echoes of, you know, slavery in the past. Um, you know, that, um, you know, the, the, the Mayflower pilgrims represented, you know, an, an exploring culture into, uh, into the United States. This, and in a way, the spaceship represents uh, another exploring civilization that might, you know, take over their own uh, country and add sort of echoes of, um, you know, um, invasion as well. And a lot of times, too, Nigel, when something like this happens, yeah, you've got to ask the question, who benefits? And the Hills didn't benefit from going public with this at all. This was not in their best interest to do this, was it? No, they're, quite, <clears throat> they're well thought of in their community. Um, I think Betty was a social worker, and Barney had been involved with uh, like the community action program. Yeah, and, they were well-liked. Uh, pardon? People liked them. Yeah, they were well-liked, um, they were um, they worked for different associations. They were quite uh, they weren't like um, shut off from society and sort of fantasy prone in that sense. And I suppose in a way because of Barney wanted to keep it quiet, but I think Betty was a far more outgoing person. And uh, in a way, and it, because of the interest in their case, I think she was. Um, willing and able to, you know, talk about it in, in public and go on TV and um, present it in a credible way. And, um, you know, even though Barney was you know, reluctant about all this, he he did kind of support her. He did support her claims through his own hypnotic regression. So, in a way, um, it's just their own human reactions to whatever happened to them. And I think as well, at that time, um, the uh, the, uh, Soviet Union had just started nuclear testing, and um, that was something high in people's minds. It's interesting that when Betty got home uh, in the early hours of the morning, she was very fearful about radioactivity, and I think uh, they cleaned the car out and did different things because they were so worried sure. about that. And I think that's one reason why she reported the UFO site into the uh, nearby Air Force Base because she was worried about you know that were being contaminated by radiation. Well, in those days, too, they didn't know who to report UFO cases to, so going uh, to the Air Force was probably the right thing. Yeah, and 
so, you know, it was a hard thing to know about. And I think she also rang her sister because her sister had um, seen um, seen a UFO in the past, so she got some advice off her. I think um, she ended up going to a library the same way I did, and she got the address of Donald Kehoe, and that's how uh, a case got to be investigated by NICAP. Um uh, but I think she was the sort of person who was inquisitive, so I think she kind of read a lot of UFO books and uh, um, and, and contacted different people to find out more. So, um, you know, I think it was interesting there that, um, you know, she got to the right people, really, so that uh, um, Walter Webb wrote quite an extensive report on her case, um, which wasn't really, um, I don't think it was really... Um, out until about 1965, and um, that also had a lot of um, references to South American cases, particularly the Anthony Villas-Boas case, um, which he he gives about five or six pages to because he thinks it seems very um, similar to the Hill case um, with with Villas-Boas the um, he um, had um, uh, aliens who pointed to the sky and then to themselves, implying that they weren't from this planet. So, in a way, that was a bit like the equivalent of Betty Hill's star map, that they reference themselves to something extraterrestrial, you know, rather than something, you know, more mundane. And also the fact that... Um, he, like he was, the Dogon tribe. Pardon? The Dogon tribe would point to the Sirius star system, for example. Yeah. So, um, in a way, these were very similar cases that were spread by, um, you know, continents, separate continents. But, you know, it's possible the Hills, you know, might have heard a bit about that case through Walter Webb. But uh, I think it... It, um, the Villas-Boas case uh, was um, kept in the background for quite a while and then that got publicity in 1965, really, in the English-speaking world, about the same time as the um, Betty and Barney Hill came, case became well-known as well. So I suppose, in a way, that kind of broke down the barrier to accepting abductions um, by you know, more serious ufology. What other cases did you look at, Nigel, that uh, captured your interest? Um, well, I'm, I looked at the Batty Anderson case and the cases that evolved um, after the Hill case. And also there's the, there's the Travis Welton case as well, you know, famously. That's a great case. Yeah. Fire in the sky. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's a very good film because I think it, it sort of balances some sceptical viewpoints as well as his, you know, kind of horrifying encounter. And uh, I think that's probably one of the better alien abduction movies ever made. And uh, with that case, it, it, not, it was missing for a, about a week rather than two, two hours. And... Uh, you know, we still don't really know what what went on in, in that, such a long period of time on board the spacecraft. But, but this this case seems a bit more horrifying than the uh, 
what the hills went through. And, of course, um, uh, 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 cases that came up in the 80s and 90s, um, I think, were more, weren't so much focused on particular people, but more the investigators like Bud Hopkins and John Mack and David Jacobs, um, who kind of plotted more the characteristics of you know, maybe a hundred or so abduction cases rather than focus on uh, on particular instances. So, but they kind of established such things as um, missing time and implants and being floated up to a, a spaceship and the kind of things that are accepted in, in ufology now. And it's quite interesting, though, the cases after the hills, really, um, those people being floated up to flying saucers like Travis Walton, uh, Travis was, or um, or even floated through uh, windows or or uh, walls to go to a UFO was with uh, Antonio Villaspoz and the Hills. They were both uh, sort of dragged unceremoniously into the craft. So they were kind of like low-tech low versions of them, more modern UFOs. What fascinates you about all these cases? Because there's a breeding program underway with this too, isn't there? Um, yeah, there's a sort of, um, particularly with uh, Willis Boas, um, it was kind of forced to have um, intercourse with a, a space woman. I was quite um, surprised to learn, though, that... Uh, some Brazilian investigators went back to his hometown and uh, one of the locals who knew Antonio said that the space woman was very ugly, whereas all the reports of it um, that I've seen before is that she was a kind of uh, beautiful, seductive um, alien woman. So it's a bit of a surprise that... uh, Apparently, she was ugly, and uh, you know that just uh, shows um, how things get repeated in the literature until you kind of go back to the sources and find out uh, what else has gone on. So, in a way, that kind of undermines the idea that it was some sort of male fantasy, because you know who'd, who'd admit to to that with an ugly person in a way. So, um, that put. put a different perspective on that case. But it, it also seems like they were used in for a breeding program. And with the Betting Barney Hill case, they were kind of interested in their mm-hmm. reproductive organs. And, uh, you know, it seems like the aliens seem to have a, a deep interest in how we uh, we breed. and Well, do you think that they want knowledge of our breeding program for themselves or to replace us on this planet? Yeah, well, it seems to be a mixture of them wanting to um, breed with us to create hybrids. I suppose um, this comes from, like, the concept of uh, way back when people believed there was life on Mars, they always thought the Martians would, would come and invade the Earth because they, um, they had a lack of water and resources. 
and who were dying out, so they needed to come and invade here and perhaps even breed with us to make stronger stock. And in a way, that seems to be what people think about sort of the alien breeding program, that we want to come here to um, either revitalize the dying alien stock or they, uh, they want to um, create an entirely new hybrid to take over the planet. Um, but it's, it's really hard to say, really, because, uh, you know, some of it, I think, particularly some of John Matt's cases are, are probably more fantasy than real, but it has led to people, you know, speculating about what, what any alien agenda might be. But I suppose another thing with the the sceptical point of view is the fact that their, their techniques seem to be quite crude, really. Like people said, well, why don't they just you know, break into a, a medical laboratory and steal you know, samples and things like that? You know, why, why, um, why plague and rape people? You know, such a sort of... It's, it's, uh, it's bizarre. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.